0: All right, folks, good morning and welcome. We're going to get started. So it was about a year ago that we got started more formally on the question of a renovation here at Holy Communion. We've actually been up to this for about 18 months. Uh, I did a a sort of broad... um, announcement at our annual meeting in 2018 that we were getting ready for a capital campaign. Uh, And then we spent a chunk of the spring, your vestry did a lot of work uh, doing one-to-one meetings and holding conversations and sort of laying the groundwork for uh, what was to come. We did that on purpose because we really didn't want to just do a campaign that was all about the building Uh, We did need to do an assessment um, about what were the systems in the building that really needed to be addressed. We knew, for instance, that the boiler, we thought, had two more years of life in it. Turns out it didn't. Uh, but, But we knew that there were some systems around here that needed to be addressed. But beyond that, we wanted to ask the congregation how the space was useful, what dreams we had together, Uh, what our priorities were, and we went through a number of different iterations and a number of different conversations. Uh, One of the conversations that was lively uh, was a conversation about the space where we are right now. Uh, When we're not in the midst of renovation, this room is pretty underutilized. Even right now, uh, this space is used for about an hour on Sunday morning. Uh, the rest of the week, it's used when families are gathered and waiting in this little area while their kids have music lessons, but it's a lot of open space, so we asked about this space and there were all sorts of ideas about this space, uh, there were all sorts of ideas about what could go on in the church, there were all sorts of ideas about what could go on in the kitchen, about what could go on with bathrooms, About all, there, were, there were lots of really fantastic ideas. Uh, But we tried to classify the things that we heard again and again through the values that we share as a congregation. Welcome, diversity, and community. And after doing quite a bit of conversation with the congregation and with outside groups, we met with AA groups, we met with um, the community music school, we met with folks who use the space regularly as well to ask what would your priorities be? After all that conversation, we got to the point where we decided we needed to hire two folks. Uh, we needed to hire a capital campaign consultant to work with us on uh, you know, how this all would come together and on how and how much money we might be able to raise. Uh, and we needed to hire an architect firm um, in order to do a master plan for the site to say, OK, here are the priorities that we're bringing forward. Uh, How would we do that? How much would that cost? And also, what are the systems in the building that really need to be addressed? Uh, And and we learned some really good things from that. We we ended up hiring Dan Stouter. um, And let me say just a a word about Dan Stouter. We put an RFP out to almost every architecture firm that has ever done work with churches in the St. Louis area. uh, And Dan Stouter was selected from among those. Uh, the Stouter Company, how long have you all been in business? Four. Yeah, for four generations here in St. Louis. Um, they built and rebuilt and redone a whole bunch of churches. Uh, they came strongly recommended from the uh, Diocesan Architecture Committee. There's a committee that um, is appointed by the bishop that works with congregations about how you're going to do renovations. It um, gives us a sense. There were a couple of architects we heard you maybe don't want to work with them. Uh, Stouter had the opposite um a reputation as somebody who was flexible and would work with churches like ours that are a little bit goofy and uh and could come up with um really innovative plans so we took what we heard from um dan stouter we we did all sorts of different tests from acoustics to um we, we did, and I've told this story before, but one of the questions that was making me a little bit nervous, because we've got this fence behind us that keeps tilting down toward um, Gannon Street, and I was nervous about, you know, is the church and the tower eventually going to do that too? Uh, and we did, uh, Dan had engineers come in and say, no, you're, you're, you're okay. Uh, you're on solid rock. The church is not sliding down the hill yet. Um, so that was good news, that, that would have been a really expensive thing that probably wouldn't have lined up with anything we wanted to do, but would have had to do. So we did a lot of that testing, we looked at our electrical systems. And then a year ago, we brought all of that, um, a big master plan that totaled about 1.8 million dollars yeah. worth of renovations a year ago, uh, to the congregation, and we said, okay, how much are you able, are you willing to help fund this? we did what's called a feasibility study and we asked folks if they could estimate you know what were their priorities among all of the menu of things we were hoping to do and we needed to figure out about how much we thought we could raise Um, from that we set a goal of 823 thousand dollars so we basically lopped off a million dollars which meant there are things that aren't getting done like we're not going to do anything about this undercroft space that would have been a really expensive we have this really kind of cool dream about turning this into a mixed office, sort of shared workspace. We could generate some revenue, but it was just too expensive, and it wasn't a high enough priority. And what we learned is we could get a lot of what were really high priorities done for $823,000, and we thought we could raise that. So we set that as a goal, um, and we came back to you all, and and in a lot of one-to-one conversations and letters and campaign appeals, you heard me talk about it for a really long time, uh, we raised the money and we exceeded our goal. And then we got around to this summer and we were getting ready to um, solicit bids from contractors and one of the things we found was uh, what a year ago would have cost about $823,000 was gonna cost quite a bit more. Um, some of that has to do with uh, the amount of construction going on in St. Louis right now. Some of that has to do with cost of materials. Um, there's a lot to it. Some of it has to do, honestly, with um, you know, like trying to keep a very complex project uh, all on the same page. And some people thought some things were in budget, and some things thought other things were in other budgets. And it, it, it's a big, complex project. Um, but Dan was willing to work with us and was able to revise to where our budget is. Um, and some folks came to the plate and increased pledges. Uh, and we now have a, um, a pledge and gift total of $926,000, uh, which is really astonishing. It's, it's really a, a very large number for this congregation. Um, and it's exciting because it means that we can do a lot of what we laid out, a lot of what those dreams were. Um, But there were some serious revisions to um, what was originally presented to the congregation. So we thought it would be really important to invite Dan to come back and to talk with us about where we are, about what's getting done. Um, We do have two out of three major contracts signed. So um, let me say a word about the two contracts that um, Dan's not as directly involved in and then turn over to Dan. So one contract that is signed, that was actually the first contract signed, uh, is the contract with the organ builder. Um, Robert Dial is an organ builder who has uh, been involved with our organ for a number of years now uh, and was the original bid, and Robert Dial was able to honor his original bid. So $250,000 roughly of the um, 926000 is going into a total refurbishment of our organ. About 50% of our pipe work um, has been saved. To that, Bob Dial is adding another about 30% of pipe work, some of which is coming from organs that are um, being recycled and pulled out of business, and some of it is brand new pipe work. And then, so that leaves about 20% to 30% of the organ will be new digital stops. So we will have a pi- uh, an organ that is largely a pipe organ, but that will have digital stops, which is honestly pretty fun. Because having some digital stops allows us to do things that we couldn't do given our space limitation. To get really deep bass notes, you need to have really big, long, tall pipes that are about this big around. We just don't have anywhere to put them. And so to get a big subwoofer that can make the same sound takes up a lot less space. So we're going to have a really great sounding organ, an organ that will last generations beyond. They won't have to do a fundraiser for the organ for a long time, which is good news. It'll also incorporate, we have a beautiful organ console. Um, It's Mary Carol Schlater, who was here for a very long time as organist, um, did a beautiful job maintaining the actual keyboards and the beautiful um, woodwork of the organ console. And that is being preserved. Uh, The guts of it have been pulled out, and a new, you know, what used to be a big old operation, Uh, it looked like one of those computers from a movie from the 1950s with all sorts of rakes and stuff inside, um, weighed a huge amount of, uh, you know, it's now going to be a little digital board about that big uh, that the organ talks to. But what's going to be wonderful, that organ is going to be on casters. And we're going to be able to pull that organ out, and the congregation will be able to see the beautiful console as Jay plays it for a concert. Um, and for the first time, we will have pipe work. Um, in the congregation. We'll actually probably be worshiping back up in the church before the pipework is installed because the organ's going to take a little bit longer than anything else. But the organ is underway. Um, You'll see that there's a big hole uh, where where some of the organ pipe was. There's some pipework left that we're not reusing because it wasn't in great shape. Um, But everything that's being reused is already up in Springfield, Illinois. The other contract that's underway right now but is close enough that I'm um, happy to talk about it Uh, For the first time, um, Emil Fry Studios is a stained glass studio in St. Louis. They're a pretty famous stained glass studio. Um, They do installations all over the world. Uh, And we have two Emil Fry windows right now. Anybody know where they are? Emil Fry Studio. Yeah, Bert, who probably knows the building better than anybody. They're up in the West Narthex. Um, if you've never seen it right now, the only way to get there is to go up this little stairway and go into the West Narthex. But they're these beautiful um, clear glass, super interesting leaded design. There are only Emil Fry Studio windows, but Emil Fry is a world famous glass studio based right here in St. Louis. For the first time, they are going to be collaborating with a black artist. Uh, Kababi Bayak is an artist based in Shaw, where Ellis and I live, um, in the city of St. Louis. He rose to quite a bit of prominence, especially um, after the Ferguson uprising. Uh, He's been doing murals all over the country. He just did a new mural on the side of Urban Chestnut uh, to celebrate the Angels in America um, production that's going on right now. But he's been doing murals in South Bend, Indiana, in schools all over the country. Emil Fry was a little bit nervous. They don't really like working with outside artists, but I said to them, you know, we've got a congregation that really says if we're gonna do windows, we need to feature people of color. We don't have any stained glass that features people of color right now, and we'd really like to work with a black artist. And so Aaron Fry, who's the descendant of Emil, said, all right, send him to the studio. And apparently he didn't just come for the hour they had planned, he stayed a whole afternoon and then he came back another day, and they just started playing and having a lot of fun. So that contract is on its way, I'm really hopeful we'll be signing that soon. There's a committee of folks that's waiting to meet, I want to see the contract before we meet, but um, we'll meet with Kababi, and we should have designs in October, um, if all goes well for those windows. Um, The idea would be that we would install the first piece of stained glass in February. Right now, part of our adjustments are that we didn't raise quite enough money to do all four of the windows in the chapel. So all of those windows will be replaced with clear glass windows that'll be better insulated, but only one of them will have a stained glass window installed. Kababi will do the design for all four, and we will be putting a um, temporary Um, decal that looks like stained glass. There are congregations in this country that only have these decals. I'm I'm told they look really cool. Um, But the hope is that we will be able to eventually um, fill the rest of those windows with stained glass. But we will have... So that's the kind of stuff, and and why I say there's a lot of pieces to this. Those are the other two contracts, the organ and the stained glass. One is signed and on its way. Uh, The other we're still putting together a little bit, but the principles have been agreed to. Um do we have any questions about those pieces before I turn it over to Dan. Donna. Um, I I'm just wondering, I know we raised,
1: ended up raising more money, 90%. Yeah. And I thought that was
0: what the Windows would want to think that was going out that That was the hope um when we were um in original pricing was that we were able would be able to do more windows. The problem is the total bottom line budget expanded. So just to do the original pieces we really wanted to do, we had to take some of those pieces off the menu. So the total price expanded in ways that we couldn't really control for. I thought I'd throw a future outreach idea out there based on something that worked on my college campus. Yep. Both St. Mary's Hamilton Village, beautiful, got that beautiful bargain, and on Penn's campus was the eighth
1: largest high-carb garden within those 64-foot pipes. Yep.
0: Yeah, there's, there's gonna be some opportunities for programming with the organ, now that it will be a, a really good organ that weren't there when the organ was sort of falling apart around us. Uh, we're not gonna do any planning on that until the organ is actually here. Uh, one of the things that organ builders really hate is when you schedule your premiere concert and they're trying desperately to get the pipes in in time for it, because a pipe organ has to come into the space and has to settle in the space for a while before you can really tune it so we're hopeful that the organ will be here in time for Christmas, but it's not for sure. So that's we're not gonna schedule anything like that, but, but it does everything we're doing opens up new possibilities. I just hesitate to schedule anything until it's done. So there, what Lucy's talking about, there are four windows in the chapel. Um, it, it's sort of tricky because there's, there's four sets of windows, but each one of those has four in it. So the ones that are closest to where the altar is usually in the chapel, those are older windows. The rest of the chapel all were installed in the 1950s and were ordered out of some church catalog in the 1950s, but the four closest to where the altar are look very different. Um, and those two of them at least were installed in the chapel here, And some of them we believe came up from the church in Leffingwell. So part of the contract with um, Emil Fry Studios will be to preserve the pieces of glass, not the sort of surrounding glass, but the actual glass in the middle, to preserve those in frames. Um, We have to decide where they're gonna hang in the frames. They may end up in the lounge, the vestry and building committee have to talk about that. But they will be preserving the historic stained glass that's there. In Mitchell Hall, that tall window yeah, that, 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 that Bert got at Home Depot, right? <laughs> uh, that people think is stained glass up there. It'll be nicer than that one. No offense, Bert, you did a great job with it, but th- it'll be nicer than that. Other questions? I'm going to turn it over to Dan to talk a little bit about, oh, hey, a little bit. Dan has the bulk of the project, so um, if you would help me welcome Dan Stouter.
1: So we got the bulk of the project, but I think Mike did a good job explaining most of it already <laughs> interspersed in there uh, But he did ask me to just tell you a little bit about us, so uh, So my firm is stouter architecture, and as he said I'm the fourth generation of the firm started with my great-grandfather And uh, actually five generations ago He was a contractor and started in business with his son who became an architect to do some church work, so uh, but but actual four generations of architects. Um, mostly all here in the St. Louis area, but we have we have gone around a little bit. I've got some projects in Illinois, Effingham and Urbana, and we've gone down to Lake of the Ozarks, and uh, a little bit in Ohio, but for the most part it's in the, the bi-state area here. Uh, I took the firm over and 2000, January 1st, 2000. It seemed like an easy number to remember. I think that's why we did it. Uh, my father is still around. He's uh, officially retired, but he's always, what can I do? What can I do? You know, so he's even worked on this a little bit. He's been out here taking pictures for me. And so uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to still have him around helping us out. But uh Uh, And I didn't actually come work for the firm until after about six years. I decided I didn't want the the nepotism and, you know, I'm going to go do my own thing. And after six years, I'm like, I'm crazy for not, you know, getting to design churches. So what am I thinking? So I moved back to St. Louis. And so, yeah, I've I've been the principal firm since 2000. So I guess, uh, and I joined the firm in about 95, so a little over 24 or so years of doing churches. And we've seen... <clears throat> well, I would like to say everything, but there's always something new that comes up, you know, in a lot of projects. But that gives us the ability to compare what we've done in other places. There's not too many things that a church wants to do that we haven't seen or, or dealt with. But there's always something that comes up, and it's it's not just new churches. You know, of course, we love to design a new church, but we do a lot of renovations. You know, and it's always it generally starts like this one did with a master plan. Uh, I'd say 99.5 percent of our projects, there's more wants and needs than than there is capital to do it. So, we often start like we did here with a master plan where we come in and say, okay, what do you need for the next 30 years, you know, and we make a long list and we sort of put that plan together um, and it always costs two, three, four times as much as, you know, you can raise, (laughs) it seems to be the way. Uh, and then we pare it down and say, okay, what are the priorities? And we actually went through a long list and had a, everybody, you know, rank one, two, three. What do we need to do? And we did that. Uh, and then uh, we got the bids in and, and the more bids. And like he said, right now things are crazy busy with construction, so uh, prices tend to go up when that happens. And then we did it again and say, okay, let's. What are the, the most important? So, that's kind of what we've narrowed it down to. I'll give you a little bit of a <coughs> excuse me a synopsis on that. The main <laughs> the main pieces. Well, maybe I'll start sending this around now. Uh, the main piece is kind of the big two pieces were renovation of the kitchen and I say two pieces kind of in dollar amounts, renovation of the kitchen so that it could be, you know, a fully functioning commercial kitchen. The thought was maybe even you get, you know, food truck people or other people to come rent it out. Maybe it's a little source of revenue. Uh, So that was an important feature. But the way the kitchen was did not meet code. It did not have a grease hood or a fire suppression hood, which is the biggest thing. I mean, you just can't, you know, have a commercial kitchen. It used to be churches had, residential type kitchens all of them and, and and almost every time in a church like oh we want to renovate the kitchen well you can't just put a normal dishwasher like you got in your house or a range there it's considered a commercial kitchen and when you do that now you've got all the health department regulations you got to have three separate sinks you got to have a, a fire suppression uh, system hood over your range that hood requires what we call makeup pair you can't just put an exhaust fan in because you're pulling so much air out we had to basically put in another sort of an air conditioning system they call it a make up air that's gonna go inside the boiler room so that it pulls outside air and conditions it and dumps it in the kitchen so you can suck it right back out through the grease hood <laughs> but uh, so that kitchens always tend to be a, a large item so that was one of the bigger pieces so in the kitchen what we're we're doing is mainly the grease hood uh, a new oven uh, new uh, counter work with the sinks because of the requirements and uh, Mike's personal favorite a new grease trap. <laughs> Outside, the Outside the building.
0: I don't know if any of you have remembered, especially in the summer, we've had a couple of Sundays when you come in and it smells like sewage. That's because our grease trap was put inside the building near where the air conditioner intake is. And so there have been Sundays when you've noticed incense, because I'm trying to hide the smell of sewage. Uh, so putting it outside the building means it's out there.
1: Right. So that's basically burying a big tank outside and, and piping things out to it. So, um, so yeah, that's the, the one big piece was the kitchen. And probably the second biggest piece or bigger piece, obviously, was the renovation of the church. You know, the, the part that you use every Sunday that you see... Vanna, thank you. <laughs> so, I'll walk around. You've yeah. seen this.
0: This was in every Capital Campaign brochure, but this is the original art. It's bigger.
1: I so we thought we'd send that around. So the main things we're doing in the church is to, to give it a fresh look. You know, we're not adding a piece onto the building. Um, the main thing we're doing is we're going to be replacing the flooring, taking the carpet out, and putting in a, what we call a, a deluxe or a luxury vinyl tile. It'll look like slate. Uh, we considered, you know, ceramic hard ceramic tile, and uh, this was helped the budget out a little more and was a little softer. Uh, the other reason we're considering it is there's a possibility that we want to put a labyrinth pattern in the floor, and you know, with laser cutting now, you can cut all kinds of intricate patterns out of the stuff. Uh, so we're looking into the cost of that to see if that would be feasible. Uh, but that's a possibility. The other thing we're doing is to uh, we're taking all of the pews out and modifying them. So I know if you remember, there were some around the perimeter uh, and in the chapel that were sort of two or three person long uh, and movable. We're gonna take them out. We're gonna cut the pews down. We're going to refinish them into those sort of movable pews so that about half of the seating will be pews, and then the other half will be chairs to match, you know, same stain color, same fabric, um, so that you can take the space and reconfigure it into a, like an antiphonal arrangement or other other ways, you know, for concerts or for different liturgies, uh, so you have a lot of that flexibility. Excuse
0: the noise a second. <laughs> oh, too bad. Right.
1: Um, so that's what you'll see in the, the rendering there. The other thing we're doing is we're um, kind of up along the two sides, right where the the arched roof meets the walls, we're putting in sort of a valance uh, to house a, an uplight so that there will be some uplight shining light up onto the barrel vault ceiling to kind of give it a nicer look. Um, we're replacing the lighting that's there with LED lighting just to make it more efficient and not have to change it. And, bring it up to date there. Uh, We're keeping the chandeliers, but we're, you know, replacing the insides with LED uh, to get some efficiency there. Um, We'll be painting all of it, obviously. We haven't picked colors yet. That's one of the things, but it'll most likely be in the neutral range. I'm never a big fan of, you know, I know for a while in the 80s we had teal and, (laughs) you know, these things, and you walk in and go, yeah, that's when that was done. The Orange of the 70s and the teal of the 80s. and So uh, it not my decision, but my input will be there to, to kind of keep it neutral and let the people and the artwork and the tapestries be the color of the church, not the not the walls.
0: So you just touched on something that is a bit of a change. One of the things we had talked about originally with those valences, the, the um, I call them soffits, uh, at the top of the wall, was that we were looking at putting air conditioning in um, one of the things when we were talking about needing to reduce the budget a bit was asking and spending some time in the, in the area and trying to see, you know, is that an effective use of distributing the air conditioning all along the church? Uh, it won't distribute the heat because the heat's in a different system. So is that an effective use of um, money? And we decided a couple things. One, those sockets would have been pretty big to carry air conditioning guts. Or air conditioning ducts, not guts, same thing, whatever air-conditioning ducts and another thing um, and so they, they would have looked you would have seen them um, I don't think it would have looked bad but you would have seen them uh, it also was gonna cost a lot of money to do all that framing all that duct work so I spent a couple of the hot summer days up in the church in the back because um, right now all the air conditioning comes from the front and our system actually delivers pretty well um, I couldn't really find hot spots in the church It might have been a little bit more efficient, but I wasn't sure that it was worth $40,000 ish um, to put it there. Another kind of thing on that was we had a very fancy dimmer system um, that would have controlled lights in the plans. Uh, And it was going to be located in um, a new sacristy. So the organ right now um, takes up the whole, um, what is that, the west side of the chancel. So if you're looking at that high altar up there on the left-hand side, the whole left side there, there's a big two. There's actually two big rooms where the organ lives. Our organ builder can actually get the organ down into one of those rooms. Uh, partly because some of the big, big, big pipes are now gonna be digital. And so we're gonna have an additional work sacristy. Jean Parker's not here, is she? Um, I gotta tell you, Jean's really excited because it's gonna mean we're gonna be able to put a cabinet in there big enough that we don't have to fold um, the beautiful silk work that we put on the altar and then have to steam it to get the folds out. Uh, and so it's exciting for that. But we were going to in that sacristy have the dimmer system. and we figured out it was going to cost 12,000-ish dollars to move it up there and have that fancy dimmer system. So we've said, well, we'll keep switches where the electricity is now and that'll allow us to be better stewards of the money. So some of the things you won't see but are are you know sort of very nuanced pieces that allowed
1: us to save quite a bit of money Mm -hmm. okay um so let's see i was talking about those light valances the change in the lighting the led um, the flooring uh, that's about it the 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 sanctuary itself of course the biggest change is going to be the organ as mike said earlier right now there's a a mesh panel there that lets the sound out. Now there's going to be a pipe facades where you'll see a lot of the speaking pipes. Do you have a question? It's, it's called a luxury or a deluxe vinyl tile. So it's a vinyl tile, but it, it has a pattern imprinted in it to look like slate. I mean, it can look like a lot of different things. So that will affect acoustics because it's not as absorbent as uh, carpet. One of the things we did also was to have an acoustical engineer analyze the space and look into it. Uh, we had a number of different different items to put in uh, to correct it or to, to help it. Uh, some of that was cut out due to the budget as well with the, the idea of it can always be added later. That's something that doesn't affect any other construction. You can come in and put it in at, at any time.
0: One of the things that happened, and this was actually before we were getting all the way into budget constraints. Acoustical engineers love to fiddle with space. Um, So one of the things that surprised me was actually the carpet isn't that big of an insulator. It wasn't like there was a thick carpet pad. Um, And those of you who have kneeled on that carpet know there wasn't a big, thick carpet pad. Um, And the carpet itself was on a pretty hard surface. It's like, you can actually see it right now. There's an asbestos tile. We're not gonna mitigate. We're just gonna go right over the top of it. because it would cost lots of money and lots of time to mitigate all that. And you don't have to, it's not a danger, it's, it's a hardened asbestos. So as long as you're not drilling and breathing in the drilling shavings, you're okay. So, um, but, but that hard surface that was underneath the carpet was already giving us some reflectivity. The thing that amazed me was how much the sound in the space changed when we just took the cushions off of the pews. Those cushions are our biggest sound absorber in the whole space. But when we got the um, the acoustical engineer report, they had all sorts of ideas. They wanted to run acoustic panels all the way down the length of the barrel vault. Um, big panels of foam all the way down the barrel vault. You'd, you'd see big panels, and it would have made it look a lot like, you know, like an auditorium of at Umsol or something. Because they were trying to get the space to a place where the human voice was the center of what we were doing. They don't like reflectivity, they don't like the sort of ringing sound. The organ builder is on the total other end of that. Uh, The organ builder will say to you, your most important stop is the space, and you want a resonance that just lasts, you know, you want it to ring. So we've tried to meet in the middle a little bit. We have plans, we have a couple of different proposals for where we could put foam padding if we need to adjust the space. And if we get in there, and we aren't happy with the sound, we've got some ideas of where to start. We are keeping some foam padding, if Dan and I are right, we've gotta double check this, because on the drawing I'm not 100% clear, but we're keeping some foam padding on the very back of the church, on those big sections of plaster next to the windows, um, on the. with the sound character holding me in. is one of the best sound spaces, sounding spaces, I think, in terms of balancing choral music, organ music, and the spoken word. So I didn't want to mess with it too much. So we're sort of in a, a weird place with that. Mike, do you want to talk at all about the innovation of the speakers? Yeah, can you say a word about what we're doing differently than even what was in the plans with the speakers? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, let me just see if there's any other items to touch on in there. Uh, I think that was about all in the nave itself uh, other than as mike talked about in the chapel area replacing those windows with uh, new thermal insulated windows so you get a lot better efficiency the ones that were there were you know the old thin frames and single pane glass and uh, i think that's about everything inside the church other than a basically completely new sound system uh and that is uh it's similar to what's there in that it's what we call a distributed system. There's two kinds. You can either put the speakers up to the front and aim them out towards the crowd. That's one method. Uh, or you do a distributed where you have the speakers spread out through the crowd. But one of the things you do when you do spread them out like that is digitally they put a, a very, very slight delay on the back speakers to the front. So that when the person's speaking, you're hearing a sound at about the same time rather than hearing that that you know delayed response and uh, the speakers the new ones are gonna hang from the ceiling instead of being mounted on the side they're gonna hang from the ceiling one of the reasons for that is to try and avoid some of the uh, you know the reflections in the space they can hang closer to where you are and they can spread more if they're all the way at the side you know the, the people right next to them are gonna hear something louder than the person sitting right on the aisle so it works like lighting you know, it has to have a direct path of view. So by hanging them in the center, the sound, you know, emanates from the middle and kind of spreads everybody a little bit more evenly.
0: This was one, and it it gets into the nuance of this. Some of this is, you know, like, you hire whoever to put drywall up, and they're going to put drywall up hopefully just about the same way. But when you get with a a sound engineering firm, you know, we had a couple of firms that, we had one firm that we worked with in the pre-bid that then bid exactly what they thought was the best way to do the sound system. We had another firm that did the same thing. The third firm that came in um, didn't want to just bid what was there, they wanted to come and see the space and do a walkthrough, and when they did, they said, well, we can do some of this, but what if we did this? And the level of engagement on that and the level of imagination, honestly, Dan and I were both impressed with, and we thought, it's a company called Elite, And we decided to to hire them partly because they they looked at the space differently. So, what that will mean is it's not in the picture, but there will be new speakers. They're not going to be on the, you know, where the wall meets the barrel anymore, um, like it was in the plan, um, or even in the drawing. Um, They're going to hang between each of the pendants that hang down, between the chandeliers. Um, You'll see a little teardrop shaped speaker. It'll be white, it'll look like the ceiling but we think it's actually gonna give us better sound than if we were coming in from the sides. Mm-hmm. We're not touching the fans. I, those fans save us. On and they actually they do help a lot too with pushing that air conditioning through the whole space. So we're not touching the fans.
1: Mm-hmm. I think about the last part of this up on the main floor is uh, renovating the two single restrooms that are off the lounge area. Uh, We actually were trying to expand both of them to make them both kind of larger handicapped accessible family uh, rooms, but due to the ridiculously thick walls of the tower, (laughs) that made that cost prohibitive, I'll say. It was possible, but having to shore that up and beam it off and get a little bit of extra space, take out the coat area. We elected not to do that, so they'll still be much in the arrangement they are now, but we're replacing the doors so that they operate better, uh, putting an operator on one for handicapped accessibility, and then basically gutting them and redoing them to, to bring them up to date and make we them last quite a bit longer.
0: We still haven't picked the tile for those restrooms, but I can make one promise that that tile in those restrooms won't be white anymore. Um, <laughs> just white tile in a bathroom
1: is just a bad idea. <laughs> So that is about the, the coverage of all of it. I think, Mike. Did I miss any of the pieces? As Mike said, there's a few other, you know, mechanical, electrical, plumbing pieces. Like the in this closet right behind us here is an old fuse panel. Still, we're replacing that with a, you know, a new modern circuit breaker panel uh, as part of this work. Um, as I said, uh, for HVAC, we're putting in a makeup air for the kitchen. Uh, so there's a, there's a few little things like that, you know the the lighting.
0: There's, there's sections of our air conditioning that are relatively new, but a good chunk of what was the you know we there's a dated section of the air conditioning, the same air conditioning system they put in in the 60s. That that'll get upgraded as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you don't see but you feel if it breaks down. That's in this.
1: This plan. Right. Um, for instance, the uh, the HVAC for the chapel right now is in yeah. the organ chamber. Well, that gave your organ tuner fits because it was constantly changing. And, and right now in the space, there's no insulation on the outside wall. And you've got the ductwork in there that probably sweat and drips on occasions in high humidity. So that system's getting replaced and we're pushing it down into what's now going to be that, that work sacristy or the storage room where the Mike was talking about. So getting that out of the, the organ space. The ductwork will run, you know, across the top of just eight inch deep ducts. We double wrap it, you know, to insulate it. Um, so that'll that'll help. And then we are insulating the walls of that space as well to, to keep that efficiency in there. So
0: control on the organ with a high priority. The thing on the organ also what? Not go out so fast. The digital part of the organ, you don't go out fast. Yeah, the, 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 the <laughs> digital pipes. Like, the other thing is the digital pipes tend to be in really low or really high registers. And so it, that's part of why you do digital where you do it, is the places you can tell a difference between a digital organ and a pipe organ, they're getting narrower, right? Because the digital is getting really good. But um, at the really high registers and the really low registers is where you really can't tell the difference. You're, you, you can't tell if it's a big three-story tall pipe going oh, or if it's a big box going oh, you just can't. Your ear can't do it. So, so that's where some of that will be. My other question is the LED lighting. Yep. I have seen more buildings wrecked
1: by that than I can count. You say wrecked? Well, the the lighting is basically gonna stay as it is. Where because we wanna just keep the fixtures that were there, it's you're not gonna notice much of a difference. The the difference where you see wrecked is because people spec an LED bulb in the five thousand Kelvin range, which is awful in a church. Okay. Uh and, and when leds first came out that's about all you got um it took a little while before i think in churches we didn't start using them until after most other people were using them for that reason so we we always try to do either 2700 or 3000 2700 it's just a, a temperature when i say temperature it's a color of a light and that's most closely uh in line with incandescent lights uh, I think we went with 3,000 because there's a lot more available in 3,000 than there is in 2,700, and They're so it's. Two, are they? they are. Yeah. Uh, well, not all are, but um, most of them are. Uh, so yeah, that's we're we're not going to change. It might be a little bit wider than it is now because I'm sure you've got some uh, incandescents that are 2,700, and we're probably going to go 3,000. So if, some people actually like as they go it's a little brighter. I mean, it it's it, it appears that because the wider the light goes, but there's nothing I hate more than, than these 5,000 lights like you see in a gas station canopy uh, that you could do surgery under, and uh, <laughs> we're not going to do that. I made two questions. One Apollo, did you sure I understood? So that's a much warmer, softer light in the lower temperature range of bright white, heart blue, white light. Correct. Correct. second about the floor, the chairs around the what's the expected life of the floor? It'll go at least 20 years. Uh, it's hard to say because this is, a, I won't say a new product. The first time we used it in a church was uh, Sacred Heart down in Valley Park. I'm trying to think of when that was. That was, that had to be 15 years ago anyway. And that was, was newer. I think the technology's gotten better since then as well. And I was pretty leery of using it. But uh, it, the, it, the same thing at the time, the, the cost difference was, was pretty great. Uh, it's even a little bigger now because the, the luxury vinyl tiles have come down in price. And ceramic, you know, it only goes up and the labor only goes up. So it's a, a pretty... What was their difference? Do you remember? It was at least 10000 It was
0: like 16000
1: Yeah, of a difference. So... Um, and some people like it. You don't have grout joints. You know, with a, with a ceramic tile floor, you have grout joints, and no matter what you do, they're they're gonna change colors over the years and different in different places. So that is an advantage to the to the vinyl is not having those grout joints. Uh, it's also a little bit softer underfoot. Uh, I mean, it's it basically feels like this. It's a you know, it is a vinyl tile, but it's it's not. Uh, it basically has like a, a backing that's your, your bottom layer and then it has a, a layer that's basically a photograph. So you can make it look like slate or wood or whatever you want. And then it's got a pretty thick uh, clear urethane wear layer on the top of it. But I guess it hasn't been around for 50 years so nobody can really say what, what it, it be is. its
0: longer of a last than the carpet
1: was. Yeah, definitely longer life than carpet for sure. Yes <laughs> uh, I, If anybody knew the answer to that I'd be very interested to hear. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I already got a taste of that Just trying to turn the plans in for permit they wouldn't let me do it. I,
0: I, I had
1: guess. to sign up as the contractor and then had to change my name over to the actual contractor just to fit their paperwork. So, in
0: <laughs> those of you who live in U-City and have dealt know that it's an interesting department. I will say, having listened to both Dan and Joe talk about their permitting process and having been listed as the contractor when we did the Gannon House, the way they treated me as a contractor And the way that they interacted with our plumbers, our electricians, and with a contractor like Joe, who is a licensed contractor, is is a lot different. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's you city that sign off on the kitchen; it's the county health department, isn't it? Well, it's both. It's both. So
1: anything uh, involved with the the health of it, in other words, they got to see that there's a hand sink, a two compartment prep sink, and a three compartment scrub sink, those kind of things the county does have to come and sign off on. But the plumbing, you know, the electrical, mechanical that goes in there to service all of that, that would be you city
0: and It's one of the things, so um, Cheryl Walker, is an attorney in town, um, was incredibly generous with us. Uh, she's actually the, she's a big attorney. And she gave us um, her work on our contract with the contractor, the biggest contract. Pro bono. And I was amazed by the way that she did this. It was artistic. But one of the things that she did, um, which she did a bunch of other things that then the contractor pushed back on, but I was amazed that he didn't push back on this, um, was she made it so that there is a $10,000 holdover that doesn't get um, paid not at substantial completion when the contractor says they're done, but at final completion. So that means that we'll be holding a chunk of cash until we get everything signed off on by U-City. So when the contractor is going, when we're getting that last certification, we're not gonna be begging them to come back and finish little bits of things. Um, We're gonna have their attention still when we're going through those final rounds of inspections, which in U-City seems to be a couple more rounds than a lot of other municipalities.
1: Just here. The yeah. They're not. We looked at doing that at one time, and that was part of the, you know, that can still be done at a later date and not necessary to meet code. So those are going to stay. We can
0: definitely see if they're attached. To the
1: <laughs> that would be a good idea. I, I, I never looked to see that they were attached to the wall, I'll admit. We do have to modify the counter because we're going to put a sink over there. As I had said, you got to have these three different sinks, one of them being a separate hand sink. So that's going to go, we're going to take the, the cabinet closest to the water heater and take the top drawer out and cut a hole in it and put a sink in there. Because it's right behind the restroom, so that was an easy place to get to some plumbing. You know, it appears to be okay. Tuck pointing, there could always be some tuck pointing done, but there wasn't a ton that was needed. We did look at some other other things to do on the outside, especially along this property line over here. We wanted to tear out that retaining wall, replace it all. Um, That was another thing that got put off because that could be done on a maintenance schedule at any time and wouldn't affect anything we're doing in the building. Um, One of our
0: biggest issues, not In I mean, 2012 we put new roof on just about everything here and it's one of, I mean, we experienced it during church on Sunday. One of the tricks of this building, because we're in a Frankenstein building, it's been cobbled together, right? We really have about four buildings that been a different building project. So it means that where the seams come together with roof, we can put new roofs on all we want to, but those seams are really tricky. The drip that we had in Mitchell Hall last Sunday while it was rain going on, um, is at a place where the 1950 building at the third level where the um, tower is, it's, it's where that comes together with the 1938 building in Mitchell Hall. And so we had a pl- an issue with a seam. Thankfully it's a $200 fix and some caulk, you know. We've got a bigger roofing issue going on in the sacristy that was added in 2004 um, that John Beale was working on with us and you know, it would probably be about $1,200. But we just fixed it last year. And we just redid a whole bunch of drywall in there, which we're going to do again as part of this project. But it's it's one of the tricks is like we can try to do a lot, with the roof, because you have all of these angles of roof coming together, and there's flat roofs and angular roofs, and it's going to be an ongoing struggle for us as a congregation. Um, and there's not much we can do about it. The good news is two foot thick stone you know, it, while it's bad for expanding handicap bathrooms, it doesn't <laughs> blow over
1: very easily either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's true. What do you think about the construction project moving forward? What are the risks that you worry about in terms of budget, timeline, Um, the biggest risks when you're on a building like this is finding some unknowns. You know, like when we were talking about one of the things we wanted to add was. Putting some led lights along the back wall of the chancel you know similar to what you put up temporarily and uh you know one that was a budget item should it be shouldn't be the other thing we noticed when we had some of the contractors out here looking around is you take the ceiling tiles out in the kitchen you look up there's some older ceiling tiles above that are probably asbestos so you'd have to take that out and drill so the biggest thing you worry about finding is is unforeseen conditions um, One
0: of those came this week, right? With the um, tile. So the, the vestry's is going to decide on this, I think, at their vestry meeting. I just put a hold for now. Uh, the Dan's designs called for putting that same vinyl tile all the way through the west narthex and above the stairs over here, over the old nursery, um, and replacing that ceramic tile that's there. And what we found out when they pulled the carpet was that there is asbestos tile underneath ceramic tile. Now there's asbestos tile underneath the carpet, but thankfully the carpet just came right off the top of it. They can sand the glue off without disturbing the asbestos and we're gonna go right over the top. Um, But you can't pull ceramic tile off asbestos tile without popping asbestos tiles, breaking asbestos tiles. So that would be something that if we decided to do that ceramic tile right now, we're probably talking $10,000. We're talking about a delay of a couple weeks because you gotta get a permit to do the abatement. You gotta seal, do a total containment. So my proposal to the Vestry, and i got to talk to the building committee, we only found out about this Friday, um, is going to be that we actually just leave that ceramic tile for now, that we don't get into it there, because it's not a heavily trafficked space. It looks a little bit dated, but it's a fine for it. And... Are uh, talking about the Delmar? The Delmar mm-hmm. door just over here, the ceramic tile is right there. That's very new. It's not that new. It's about 15 years old now, and it's... It, The question is, is it gonna match? We may still, this is, Dan and I were talking about that we just don't know yet. That ceramic tile that is in the other, the main entryway there, Um, it's newer. One of my cautions on that ceramic tile, we've had more slip hazards on that ceramic tile than anywhere else in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like to get rid of it. We don't have as much traffic on the west door and because there are steps up to that one, I'm less concerned about folks with mobility issues coming up that side because they got to get up steps to get in there. I don't know on this side um, if there's asbestos tile underneath it. If there isn't asbestos tile underneath it, I believe we do put new flooring there. Um, And if not, we've got an adjustment because we may be leaving a whole section of flooring out that we were going to do so we might be able to get this if we didn't. But if there's not asbestos tile there, I'm going to propose that we do put that flooring there. Um, because of the trip hazards. The vinyl tile is going to be less slick than the ceramic that's there when it gets wet.
1: Mike, uh, as, as you and Dan begin to wrap up this conversation, and as you talk with each other, with the congregation and the vestry, yeah. um, we do this project, what's
0: in our dream package that we can look forward to and begin to think about over the future? You're talking about the next capital campaign, Mark? <laughs> What did we either
1: cut out as value engineering for this project or not even include in the first place because we knew we couldn't do it at this point? Sure. Go ahead. So a few of the items that were in the, I don't know, we call it wish list. (laughs) Master plans a technical term, but wish list might be more appropriate sometimes. Um, We wanted to do, I don't know if you notice where the dumpster is out front here where there's that widened sidewalk. I'm sorry, pointing out there. Uh, we wanted to do a, a drop-off lane along there to pave it so that somebody could drop off right there. Um, as I mentioned, the, you know redoing the retaining wall out here was one of them. There was a plaza out in front, you know, in the, the green space that we talked about. Maybe even a labyrinth inside the plaza, just something more attractive. Uh, we did have a dimming system. I don't think that'll get put back in, just because to do it later is tough, and it was deemed not as necessary. Some
0: of the other ones stands, stands, let me get back to you in a second. Some of the other pieces that came up for a while, we were jokingly calling it Brian's Undercroft Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brian Barnhart and I have talked about the utilization of this space. We've, we've been able to increase over the last four years the amount of revenue we get from space rental uh, by $30,000. A lot of that's been um, with Brian's help and with the good help of the vestry. But one of the things we've been talking about is trying to do some kind of feasibility around what other groups, what other ways could we bring in some revenue and get this space utilized through the week. Um, And we don't know yet. Um, And there might be a model of this where with a couple of, of gracious donations and with the incredible rates that are available from the diocese for construction loans, We might be able to model something where we can create revenue that would cover the cost of doing something down here. We've decided we're gonna, Brian and I are gonna do a lot of homework on that before we um, make a big decision about this space and we're gonna get done having breakfast down here before we open that one up. I'd also love to have a bell someday in our bell tower but that was something that just, there was, yeah, (coughs) cost-benefit ratio was low. Skylights. Oh, skylights. I lost my skylights. That was, I loved the idea of the skylights, and they actually weren't that expensive in the short run, but your junior warden and your immediate previous two junior wardens just kept talking about leaks and skylights, and I quit arguing for them. (laughs) (laughs) Bert. Illumining them. yeah- Yeah, w- that'd be an interesting proposal. We didn't even test that because it didn't come up I don't think in the um, but Bert, Bert would love to someday put some kind of um, artificial lighting so that you could light up the three stained glass windows behind the altar say for Christmas Eve or for, so you could, my church in, in BC had that. Um, they had a major stained glass window up above the altar. And it just looked weird if, it was, if those lights weren't turned on at night. And it was just this big gray. Ours isn't quite as, I mean, it was that thing was most of the chancel. It was a huge stained glass window. And it was just weird to have a gray feel. Um, ours are a little bit thinner, but it would look really beautiful. I mean, we've got pictures from the Easter Vigil from Christmas Eve where it's just dark. Um, it'd be an interesting thing to do. I'd love to price and see what it looks like and see if we do it outside of the campaign. Um, the trick would be because they're so high up, you know, you'd probably have to erect them, and because the electrical poles are right where you'd need to put the lighting, you'd have to figure out a way to do that. Sacristy was underneath it, but when we, we did this, when they did the renovation at St. John's, they faced this issue because. It'd be really nice if you could just put the lights at the bottom of the stained glass windows. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't light them up that way. you got to light them from you know, 10 feet behind and point the light directly at them.
1: Yeah, you'd have to put it on the property line and shine it back in. We've done that. Yeah, You'd have
0: to get pretty far back to do it
1: yeah if you don't if you don't hit them from perpendicular and from a decent distance for the light to spread out it won't light it up very evenly and
0: that property line is where the electrical for like those big electrical poles yeah are, you so. could probably
1: mount it right on one of those poles that'd be
0: interesting anyway that'd be a that's a that's a great idea someday um, to explore yeah. your junior warden is nodding her head and listening I, <laughs> I can't promise it Bert, but, well, uh, but, but your junior warden would love to talk to you about that
1: <laughs> alright
0: friends uh, we're going to pull this to a close um, next Sunday uh, the character of the forum will be a little bit more like the forum the rest of the year uh, our beloved community task force will be with us we're going to be talking about that. the group there and, and you'll find on the back page of the newsletter that's in the entryways and online a discussion of our beloved community commitment. Um, when we talked about our value of diversity, the beloved community is the way Dr. King um, talked about his vision for the kingdom of God um, and, and the embrace of diversity. It's language that our presiding bishop is using. So a couple years ago, when we started talking about what does this diversity value mean, we quickly gravitated to this language of beloved community. So the commitment's on the back, but next Sunday, the task force that has been brought together by your senior warden, Shirley Mensah, is going to be here and is going to be talking about some of the ways that we are going to be looking at uh, programming and at activism and at work around beloved community and our own congregation uh, over the next year. So don't miss that. Will you help me thank Dan Stouter both for his time today and for all the work today? Thank you. thank you all very much. See you next week. And some of you upstairs.